All right. Good morning, Sojourn. Sorry I can't be with you. COVID's inconvenient, but we are glad to come via uh, recording, and we'll be watching ourselves and praying with you as we meet this morning. So have you ever been restless? God promises rest. We're going to look at Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. He says, therefore, while the promise to enter into his rest remains, let us fear, lest any one of you think to come too late. For we also heard good news, just as they did. But the word heard was not profitable to them, because they did not combine the things heard with faith. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you would bless and open our hearts, that you'd help our minds to understand that you would draw us near to you, Lord, that you'd release faith and grace as we look at these words of yours this morning, Lord, work in our souls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, enter his rest and believe. And then in verses three and five, there's quite a bit of argument there, we're not gonna go into the detail, but uh, who won't rest in verses three and five? Uh, they will not enter my rest. Verse five, they shall not enter my rest. And who are those people? Verse 6 answers the question. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached did not enter because of disobedience. Of course, he's referring to the wilderness generation. But even in a sense, the news that they heard, the news of salvation to be delivered from Egypt and to be brought into the promised land was good news. But they didn't enter through disobedience. So what's going on here? Earlier it says... Uh, they had, did not combine the things heard with faith. And now here in these verses, 6 and 8 and 11 actually as well, that they did not enter because of disobedience. What is it, faith or obedience? So he refers to the generation that wandered in the wilderness. It was both faith and obedience, if you recall. They did not trust God, and so they did not enter the promised land on time, which would have been just a few months after Sinai. But then and they didn't trust God, which would have enabled them to reach their, their destiny in faith, right? No faith. So then they're left in discipline in the wilderness to shape and form them, to teach them faith, but they wouldn't obey when he took them through the disciplinary training. So it was really lack of faith and lack of obedience. But then read verse 7. And again, he fixed a certain day today. Speaking by David after so long a time, as he wrote beforehand, again the words, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Words from Psalm 95, 7 and 8. And so God is bringing the same issue up again, saying, Okay, the wilderness generation failed. They didn't enter in, but there's another day today, right? Every day in faith is today where we can have a second chance and enter in in unbelief. Now, if you know the biblical story, you say, well, wait a minute, there was uh, in between there, Joshua and his generation. That's right. So verse eight, he also mentions, he says, for if Joshua had given rest, he would not speak of another day after those days. So that tells us something really profound that even though the Joshua generation was obedient, and indeed they entered the promised land, they began to occupy the promised land, even that, the author says, is not the promised rest for the people of God. And so in other words, even Israel, even the promised land, even the very that area in the Middle East, that was not the full rest and destiny of God that he has for his people. So he says in verse 9, therefore, there remains 
a rest for the people of God. There's still a rest for us today. And so we must enter that rest. And we see that the old covenant never really had lasting rest. We must enter God's rest. So how do we enter it? So this morning we'll look at several keys to entering God's rest. The first key to entering God's rest sounds easy. To cease from striving works. So now let's read a little slower, verses 9 through 11. Therefore there remains a Sabbath for the people of God, for the one entering into his rest himself also ceases from his works just as God ceased from his own. Therefore, ironically, let us be zealous to enter into that rest, lest anyone in the same pattern should perish through disobedience. He's alluding back to the wilderness generation. So again, faith and obedience are being mixed here. So verse 9, there remains a rest for God's people. Salvation historically shows us that really everything that happened in the Old Covenant is working up to this point that the author was is telling us is in Christ, right? This moment. We rest in the same sense. Look back at verse 3 and verse 4. There's reference to the creation rest of God. God rests from his creation work. And so in a sense, we rest from our works to attempt to justify ourselves before God, to put God in our debt. And so we do rest. But in the same sense, you know that well, God's still working in the world, but it's not a total rest, right? God's work of creation is finished. The work of our salvation on the cross is finished. Nothing can add to it, uh, even though God's still working in the world and we have works we do in response to salvation, right? And then verse 11, that odd verse, be zealous to answer that rest. <laughs> it kind of sounds like work really hard to relax, <laughs> but it's not exactly what it's saying. The point is to be zealous or careful to not bypass the only way to know God, the only way to really please God is to trust him from the heart. And so be zealous to find this lasting rest. Hallelujah. That is in Christ. Well, when we enter the Sabbath rest, we cease from our own works. It's good news. But we have to be zealous to hold on to that. It's so easy to grab onto other things and anxious attempts to please God and instead he's saying, no, no. Rest, lay back completely in the finished work of the cross. It's enough for you. It's enough for me. Total trust in Christ. We risk every other security, every other status, every other reputation to trust totally and identify with him. So what is Sabbath rest today, and how do we enter into God's rest? Sabbath rest is where we rest from our abilities to try to measure up. And we say, Lord, I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your ways. It's the promised land of living in our purpose and destiny for our lives, not trying to impress God or trying to impress anyone else. So people who enter God's rest, we like to say at Sojourn, have grace-filled identity. We understand 
Our identity is in Christ, our position in Christ. But ironically, it also leads to purpose. We become missional in our community life because we're living out of faith, the good works of faith. And of course, transformational relationships as well. So the first key to entering God's rest is to cease from striving sorts of works. Now, before we go into the second point, I want to take a little theological pause in the middle here, and let's identify the enemies of Sabbath rest in this passage. Unbelief, unbelief, Joshua's generation had to trust God against incredible odds. The Hebrews' generation had to identify with Christ, even though it was very unpopular with many they were close to in their society and their culture. We face a little of that. So although there was no works, there the faith involved a trust in God. Second word, along with unbelief, is disobedience. You can hear good news You can hear the gospel. You can hear about grace. And even as a believer, you can kind of push it away. You can kind of disobey. There's a pattern of life that can lead to unbelief through perishing. We'll look at that in a moment. The third issue is hardness of heart. So there's this three interplay of unbelief, disobedience, and hardness of heart. The invitation in Psalm 95 is to be a worshiper and not imitate the unbelief of an earlier generation. If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Unbelief is the result of having an opportunity to obey and turning away and to justify that you've got to kind of adjust your thinking and and, and strengthen, harden your heart and, and kind of get it out of your mind a little bit, right? That hardening of heart. When he says, and actually, uh, when he says, hear his voice, this is very important to say in our day. If you hear his voice, he's not talking about some subjective experience of something I think I'm hearing in my mind. Oh, God's telling me to go to the corner store and uh, witness to the guy behind the meat counter. No, he's, he's talking about the commands of Scripture, not the subjective voices in your head, but the covenant commands of Scripture to love God and your neighbor. Turning from clear commands is what hardens the heart. Calculated disobedience. Oh, God will forgive me, sure, but but you'll never get what you're going. You'll never get where God's intending to take you for your purpose in your life. God will forgive. He's very gracious. But you can harden your heart and begin to become dull to what God's really trying to do through your life. And you don't want to do that. So, So one last reflection before we move to the next sermon point. It's this relationship between unbelief, disobedience, and hardness of heart. God's truth is an opportunity to grow in faith and obedience. It's just how it is. So if I obey, I I find out that God meets me in some way. Oh, wow. I did what God's word said. It worked out. And my faith, in other words, my trust actually grows. So it's it's a real relationship, right? But if I harden my heart, I miss that opportunity and I lose that opportunity to grow in trust. And so what can happen, what hardness of heart is, it's a calculated habit of playing safe and staying secure. It's a calculated habit of playing safe, being secure. And it can erode our faith to where we wind up in unbelief. 
And so when you have these opportunities, you step out in faith. To say it another way, our connection to God is a relationship. Right? If I habitually refuse to trust, I, I feed my self-protection. I wind up trusting only what I can control, only what I can touch and see. That's the American thing, right? That's the condition the Bible calls unbelief. So when I have an opportunity, I want to take it. But, you know, the way I lay that out, some of you are saying, well, yikes, uh, I'm hopeless. <laughs> you know, where's the good news here, right? So that's what we're going to get to right now. How can we break unbelief and hardness and enter the rest of God? So there's another key to entering God's rest, and it's found in Hebrews 4, 12 and 13. The second key to entering God's rest is the Word of God. Let's read verses 12 and 13. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It penetrates as far as dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It discerns the reflections and ideas of the heart. And no creature is invisible to him. But all things are naked and laid open to scrutiny to his eyes, to whom is our reckoning. While under pressure to compromise our faith due to people's opinions, maybe social and intellectual pressure, oh, you can't believe that, can you? You don't believe that, do you? We know more now. We can explain away the Bible, you know. But the word of God exposes the true motives and intents of the heart. It discerns the reflections and ideas of the heart, the real reasons some fail to believe, fear of other people, pride, maybe anger at God because he doesn't do what you expect, uh, wounded spirit, if this is God, I, I'll forget it. You know. Areas we're unwilling to repent of. I think it might help us. Just imagine facing God with our excuses. Well, well Lord... Uh, my feelings were just so hard I decided not to invest in your bride. Oh, you don't like that? <laughs> uh, I, I didn't like your plan for my life, so I made up a new one. What does the Word of God do? It exposes the true state of our heart. It removes deception, and it confronts hardness with the law of God, the truth of God, and exposes unbelief. Verse 13, everything is open to God's scrutiny. Let's read that again. No creature is invisible before him, but all things are naked and laid open to scrutiny to his eyes, to whom is our reckoning. This is not to scare you, but this is really to remove anxiety. If today, and on a regular basis every day, we will say, Lord, take your word, and we're, we're reading the word, we're memorizing the word, we're, mem uh, we're reflecting on it deeply, maybe we're doing some study, we're, we're getting together, talking about it, right? And, and, just, and that word is in there, and it's exposing the weak points in my heart. Oh, praise God, right? It's exposing things where I'd be tempted to go down the wrong alley. It's like, oh, Lord, root that out of me. It exposes our hearts. And, and you, you, you move to a place of faith and wholeness when you say, Lord, I welcome that. I want to know now, right? Hey, you know, some of you are still full-time college students. If you are not prepared for the final, wouldn't you rather find out week seven or worst case scenario, right? Week 14, at least before the final, right? <laughs> so, so this is the thing. When we let the word of God expose our heart, 
We're getting ready before the final. <laughs> There's a chance for makeup work. There's a chance for developing new strength and, and growing in Christ, receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, and able to really grow into those areas where maybe now we're a little bit weak, right? And so I, I, I'm laying my heart bare before the Lord and before trusted friends who can speak the word of God. So that when it's bare before God in that final day, I'll have no shame. So what is God's word saying to you? The second key to entering God's rest is the word of God. Let's get it all exposed ahead of time. One final key we'll talk about this morning to entering God's rest, and this is the best one. The final key to entering God's rest is the ministry of Jesus. Read this, 14 to 16 with me. It's kind of like chapter two a little bit, but good to read deeper. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Therefore, we hold fast our confession. For we do not have a priest who's not able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tested in every respect, likewise to us, without sin. Say that again. We do not have a priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted or tested in all respects, likewise to us, without sin. <laughs> he knows. <laughs> Therefore, we draw near with confidence to the throne of grace in order that we might receive mercy and grace that we might find timely help. It's kind of both sides, right? There's the, Lord, I blew it, so Lord, give me the mercy, and confidently, Lord, give me the mercy and grace I need. And then, step two, as we're beginning to grow, the timely help. Okay, Lord, I blew it last week, but this week, right, I can grow, I can trust. My strength is increased. He's the great high priest and connects us to God. He's passed through the heavens, the author tells us. He's in touch with the Father, right? He's fully human, he feels the pain the, the exquisite pain of temptation, testing, identifies with our weakness, tested in every way as we are, yet without sin. So he's saying, man, don't just tiptoe. Draw near with confidence. Lord, okay, you know who I am. <laughs> you know what I look like. You know what this week's been like. I draw near boldly where I need mercy and grace and help. So Jesus knows exactly what I experience and exactly what must be healed and strengthened and rebuilt for me to stand. You know, it's actually a little unnerving or embarrassing if you think about it. He knows exactly the deepest desires of my heart. He knows exactly where those can be fulfilled righteously and how I might be tempted unrighteously. So all of that. There's nothing he doesn't know, but it's better. There's nothing he hasn't faced, yet without sin. What a priest, what a savior. So the point is the help that he wants to give us is not some abstract principle. It's 
not an insight from a Bible study. It's a relationship, a bonded relationship of trust with Jesus, my coach, my sensei, my life coach. <laughs> he knows how to rebuild what's broken. So I'm not only forgiven, but able to enter the rest of God and the purpose of God for my life. The final key to entering God's rest is the ministry of Jesus. So as we've talked this morning, you may see areas of disobedience or unbelief, areas where you want to grow. Maybe you know by now the Word of God's been working. And it's an area where you recognize, I don't want to be hard. I don't want to, I don't want to give in to unbelief. I don't want to even sow that in a small way. What do we do? We embrace God's word. We say, yes, slice, reveal, expose. But then we say, Jesus, come. Where I've been wrong, forgive me. Give me your mercy and grace. But Lord, give me your help because I want to walk differently this week. As Keith will be leading us in a moment, I really encourage you to connect to Jesus in these moments to really bring your heart to him. If you'd like to, you can walk up front, grab a friend, pray. Let's seek him together. Let's close in prayer together. So Lord, we thank you that your word is so powerful. It exposes thoughts and attitudes of the heart. We're gonna have no excuses before you in the final day, but Lord, we're thankful that even now we can be stripped of our excuses to be safely before you, exposed in all of our weakness, all of our sin, everything we've done. And then you have mercy and you have help. And so, Lord, where it's necessary right now, I ask your mercy would flow over my brothers and sisters and that you release your help in time of need. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.